Do you have any independent recollection of taking Peast's body out of the attic? Yeah, I think I brought it down from upstairs. Remember? Yeah, I had to. No, you didn't have to. Do you remember? I mean, do you remember? Well, if I didn't bring it down from upstairs, who the hell else knew it was up there? I'm the one who put did it up Rossi there. I had know? to bring it down. I don't know if he did You keep did. saying I had to. You didn't have to do shit. What well, I'm saying is, do Robert, you remember Robert, right now? Right now? Can you remember how there was no, a No, I don't even know there, if I right? put him in the car or if I put him in the van. So you don't remember bringing him down? Yes, I would have to say that I did bring him down because when Rossi returned to the house after going to Rody's, his body was right down in the hallway. In other words, if Rossi would have walked into the through the kitchen into the front hall, he would have seen so the body. So when Rossi right. came back from Rody's, the body was already down. Yes. In the hallway. Yes. Which hallway? Huh? Which hallway? The front hallway. The the hallway leading to the bathroom. To the bedroom. I'm Bob Mata, the host of Defense Diaries. In this bonus collaborative episode, I sit in with the incredibly talented hosts of Love Murder, which absolutely crushes the subject of love gone bad, fatally bad, on a weekly basis. Jesse Prey and Andy Cassette will do what they do on their amazing podcast, which is to take a deep dive into my mind to analyze the creep who, as we all know, loved no one but himself. Today, on a special crossover episode, Love Murder is teaming up with Defense Diaries to discuss never-before-heard John Wayne Gacy tapes and a case that changed America. Hi, Jesse. <laughs> Hi, Andy. Hi, Bob. <laughs> Hi, girls. Welcome, everyone, to a special crossover bonus episode. If you're a Defense Diaries listener, Andy and I are the hosts of Love Murder. Love Murder is a true crime podcast about love and relationships gone fatally wrong. We cover cases about everything from killer couples to murderous love triangles to people that betray the loved ones they're supposed to protect. And if you're a Love Murder listener, we are thrilled to welcome Bob Mata, the host of Defense Diaries. Bob brings defense attorney's perspective to true crime. For defense diaries, he brought something else as well. Over 15 hours of never-before-heard pre-trial interviews with John Wayne Gacy. This incredible trove has a fascinating origin story, one that is connected directly to Bob himself. So with that, Bob, I'd love for you to intro yourself and tell us a little bit more about your show, and then Andy and I can pick your brain. Awesome. Well, that was quite an introduction. I mean, you basically said it all, so I guess I really don't have to say anything. No, um, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to do this. I love your guys' pod. It's amazing. Um, I'm a big fan of it. I've, I've listened to quite a few of the episodes, and you guys do an amazing job. Um, oh, thanks. And we super feel... thorough. Like, legit. <laughs> yes, like, we're, we're very detailed. But, um, you know, yes, and we I appreciate that. We are huge fans of you as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, cause you guys do kind of one-offs and, you know, occasionally you'll do it like a two episode or, but you, you know, 
what I love about your show is that you guys, instead of kind of coming in at like the 45 minute mark, you know, you, you're really digging in, you know? So if you're not going to do a serialized, you know, I, I prefer your type of show where you're really able to not, you know, have to truncate it and, and cut out things that are probably important to know detail wise, if you're digging into the case and you guys, you guys do a very thorough analysis of all the cases. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan. So I'm, I'm yes, happy he to be here. Really good job. She's, she's oh. doing the heavy lifting. Yeah. 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 Hey, somebody oh, yeah. got to do you. it. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's so, got to do it. And I, I couldn't do it without my partner it. in crime, obviously. But speaking of deep dives, <laughs> we have to talk about your show. I mean, this is an incredible show guys, because what Bob is doing here is he's bringing completely new and interesting and fresh take with new source material to a serial killer story that most of us have heard before. And he's really turning it on its head. And I think something that you have mentioned, Bob, is that it's important to you to tell the story with a focus on the victims. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd love to you know, start there and talk about your mission statement with that and and how you feel like you're achieving it. So, you know, I, I sat on these tapes for a very long time. Um, you know, kind of the, the legends uh, of the story is that 30 years ago, my dad gave me these things on my 21st birthday. And I, frankly, at the time that he gave them to me, I didn't even know he had them in his possession. You know, I just didn't. I wasn't Wait, aware okay. of that. You have to tell us more about that moment because... Like Andy said, I'm nitty gritty. Yeah. Like right. this has to be, usually everyone gets like a beer on their 21st birthday, not right. a trove right. of John Wayne yeah. Gacy tapes. So what were you thinking, feeling at that moment? To be honest, the the first thing I thought, because it's so, we had this party, my 21st birthday at this, there was a Mexican restaurant in Oak Park called La Majada that basically we had all of our family celebrations at. It was, it was our go-to spot, you know? So it was like always there. So he had a bunch of my buddies show up, you know, obviously family was there. So there was a pretty good crowd, you know, 30 to 40 people. And, you know, they, they do the birthday song. And then, you know, my dad makes kind of a big deal about like giving me the gift and he hands me one gift. And, you know, in the way that I tell it in, in the podcast is, you know, I, I was really hoping for a car <laughs> because I had been driving, you know, so I was hoping like keys in there, you know, cause I'd been driving around in this beater for like years. I was like, fuck, I need a car, you know? Um, so I opened it up and it's an old shoe box and I'm like, so the first thing that I felt was like massive disappointment. <laughs> like, you know, so I'm like, what, I'm like, what is so this? What kind and of shoe box? <laughs> so it, I, it's funny you say that. I actually have the shoe box. Uh, it's an old floor shine shoe box. It's one of his old shoe boxes from his old, like, you know, dress shoes for his lawyering job. Um, so, and then, but I, so I look down and I see that there's two words in my dad's handwriting, which obviously I, I recognize immediately. And it just says Gacy tape. So I crack it open and boom, there's, you know, all these tapes. And then I'm like, wow. Uh, and so my dad leans in and he's like, look, you know, these are one of a kind, they're historic. There's no other set of on, you know, no, no other set of these on the planet anywhere, you know, hold on to them. Maybe someday you'll be able to do something with them, you know? And so I, I did, I held on to them and I, I really never listened to them. I, I like, I dabbled in like, I think one tape 
and it, like at the kind of at the behest of my friends they're like dude we want to hear the fucking tapes so like i remember i brought like a few of my buddies over to to my dad's apartment and you know it was old school like it had the two cassette players and his little stereo system i threw one in we listened to like 20 minutes we're all like oh what the fuck you know that kind of shit we're all 21 <laughs> it, you know idiots so uh and then i and i clicked it off and frankly for 30 years i never listened to them again and then uh i'd say probably in like 2018 i started because that's when i kind of started getting into podcasts a little bit not not doing them but listening to them and i'm like yeah you know like in in the first one was serial you know that was the first podcast i really ever sunk my teeth into and i, I was like wow this is this is fucking great this is like really cool you know i like i'm an audio guy anyway like i I think I learn more through, you know, hearing than I do through seeing. Like, I've always felt like that. Like, I'm one of those guys that, like, if I'm falling asleep and I need the TV to put me to bed, I can turn on my side and not be looking at the screen. I can just be listening to the show. So it kind of, like, worked for me. It, it was, like, one of those things where I took, like, a real liking to it, like, immediately. And so I started thinking to myself initially, I'm like, you know what? It's like, maybe I could do a podcast with you know, these tapes. And, and I remember I was on this, this thing called jam cruise with a bunch of my buddies that are musicians and, you know, they're in that industry. And, you know, we had some giant rain man suite on the boat. And like, so all the artists when on jam cruise would come and party in our room. Cause we had like this fucking insane room. It was like, like a baby grand piano and they'd come and they'd play. So it was, it was unbelievable. So I was picking all their brains cause they're they're entertainers, you know? So I'm like, look, and there was one, one friend in, uh, in particular, and, um, she was managing a band called Turquoise. And, you know, I was like, Danny, I really want to do this. You know, she's like, dude, you should totally fucking do it. You know? And I'm like, well, I'm like, you're just saying that. She's like, no, it's like, that will be fucking killer. So, I was like, yeah, all right, I'm going to do it. But so th then of course I sat on it, you know, I didn't do shit about it. Like I'm a practicing attorney. I didn't realize until I started doing it, how much work it is. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? You, you yeah. guys know, I mean, <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. it's a full-time job, you know, I mean, to, to, to script it, to research it, to record it, to produce it. It's a lot of work, you know, and, and like people that, that listen to us and enjoy us, I think that they know how hard we work to do what we do to, to entertain people and maybe inform them, you know, sometimes maybe help them. You know, that's one of the cool things about this genre that we've decided to kind of get into with true crime. Um, so yeah, I, I was like, and when I really kind of pulled the trigger is, um, I was sitting at home and, uh, Joe Berlinger, the guy who had done uh, Paradise Lost, fucking amazing, amazing documentary about the West Memphis Three, and I and I loved it. I always loved him, and I loved his documentaries. I watched a shit ton of them, and he had uh, the Bundy tapes drop on Netflix, like probably about two years ago. And I was reading it, and I was like, oh shit! I'm like, he's he's got something. He's got a bunch of Bundy tapes. I'm like, some. I said, I'll fuck with this. You know, I'm going to, I want to watch it, watch it. It was okay. You know, I mean, it was quality Berlinger work, but you know, the tapes kind of sucked. They were all like, they were all self-serving Bundy on death row. I didn't kill anybody type shit. You know what I mean? So I was like, you know, so I'm like, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a flyer and I'm going to email this guy, you know, I'm going to uh, thinking that maybe somebody on his staff will be like, 
all right, some fucking guy emailed you about having some Gacy tapes. You want me to, you know, shoot back me email. And like five minutes after I emailed Berlinger, cause I found, I just Googled him, found his, found his email address. Uh, the guy, he emails me back and he's like, He's like, wow, yeah, I'm totally interested. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to circle back and and put you in touch with my my EP. So for the next year, I was trying to negotiate a deal to license the tapes. And the thing with the tapes is, once the sounds out there, it's out there. You know, there is no inherent value. You know, like so. Once I'm done with this podcast, I mean, a majority of the tapes are going to be heard. Like I, I've already seen people on the internet, like pirating the shit and putting it on their own websites. Like, you know, so it's like, once it's out there, it's out there, you know? So it's like, I, I knew can't control the narrative. I, I really, anymore. I really yeah. can't, I can't, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, that's why it was important for me. Like ultimately I ended up killing the deal with Netflix and, and Joe, because number one, the money wasn't right. Like I think they were offering like 35 grand. I'm like, nah, I, that's no oh, way. Dude. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, 35. What? Yeah. To license like what? all of them. Right. Exactly. That's that, that was like, exactly my response oh, eat a big fat uh, dick exactly. <laughs> eat a big fat like, dick like a bag see of this is why even. andy needs to be on the show she's perfect right. i love that i um, also and, bob i have to say if i was on some sort of like jam fest booze cruise and someone was talking to me about they had john wayne gacy tapes i would have like yeah shit my pants been like, it, it, what we need to go dude, a lot of people right were now. That was kind of like the common, like kind of the common response, you know, like people were so like, holy funny. shit, dude. So, and then I fucked with AMC for a while. Um, did and they then have a &E, any more respect for human beings or? They did. Like, I think okay. A&E came with like 110 and I was like, you know, cause part of it is Still like, not, I wanna, no. not enough. And I, and it, cause I really want to hook my dad up, you know, like like part of what I make, I'm, I'm going to give towards my dad was always the concept, right? You know, it's like, it was his shit, it was his case. I'm going to help take care of him, you know, so that he can enjoy his uh, golden years. I'm so years, glad you did you this know? on your so, own. Yeah. So that was ultimately it, you know, uh, ultimately I'm like, fuck all so these people. That's why guys, if you're listening to this, first of all, go over, stop this right now, go over to defense diaries, subscribe, <laughs> <laughs> right? Review, yeah, shit. join the Patreon, you, you know, help, help Bob Mata out. Cause he turned down some money cause it was shit. And also it's way more valuable than what they were trying to throw at it. Like that's not okay. Well, also, I don't think that they would have had the narrative no. that you have right now, which we also do need to get into. I hope right. I'm not and cutting that, you off. No, that's and, and that ultimately at the end of the day, that like even more than the money, like having control of the narrative and doing it the way that I wanted to do it was the the key factor and like kind of telling everybody to fuck off. I'm going to do it on my own, you know, and it, it was like super fulfilling because like so. It, I'll get to that part of the story later, but so, so kind of the concept that I was going in, Gacy's been done a million times. We've all heard the same shit about the Gacy story over and over and over and over and over. So I'm like, all right, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm going to try to focus on everything other than Gacy. Gacy, the tapes are going to be the draw, you know, the tapes will draw people in and then. I'm going to tell a different story. You know, that was going to be my concept. So I'll play tapes. And then what I really wanted to do was incorporate what I had in the tapes 
so that it fits into my narrative as I'm cruising along. You know what I mean? So it's like, like you know, the first episode was basically just the intro, how I got the tapes and all that other stuff. And then I kind of dig in, like I'm on episode nine, which is actually going to drop tonight, which is one of the reasons I was fucking late getting to your show because I thought it was tomorrow. <laughs> um, so, you know, but I'm still in the investigation, you know, and, and it was only 10 days, you know, this guy killed for, what we know to be six years from 72 to 78. Yeah. Actually, can you give us a quick overview? I mean, we've talked about John Wayne Gacy has been done a million times, but just in case you haven't, you know, explored the case recently for our listeners, I would love a quick sum up. hundred percent. And you know, that's absolutely true. You know, going into the podcast, I realized that probably a majority of listeners are probably millennials who were probably not even close to being born at the time, you know, Gacy was doing his deeds. So kind of the thumbnail of John Wayne Gacy, um, in, in 1968, he was living in Iowa. He committed a, a sodomy against a 13 year old boy. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison. He ended up doing 18 months. So theoretically, if Gacy would have served his whole sentence, we'd have a much different story, but he was a model prisoner and he did what Gacy did. You know, Gacy was an incredibly, uh, outgoing, uh, super friendly, very personable. He was, he was a magnet. Like when he walked into a bar or a restaurant, people always gravitated to him, which is one of the more terrifying aspects of the guy, to be honest. He, he wasn't like your, your, your loner, you know, super creep, like just sitting in the house, hatching plans and then going out and killing and always to a month. He was out like out in the public out conducting a seven or eight business partners. He was the democratic precinct captain for like his, his district. The guy was yeah, having, having barbecues, barbecues, yeah. creepy, having creepy barbecues, barbecues, huge 4th of July barbecues. Oh. Where, he had charisma. You know, he was connected. Uh, he was, he was all those things. So Gacy ends up moving back to Illinois because he was originally born in Illinois, ended up out in Iowa, gets paroled, moves to Illinois, moves to this little area near Des Plaines, Illinois, called um, Unincorporated Norwood Park, uh, Norwood Park. He buys a little single family over there, uh, gets married. Um, so at the time that he starts killing, he's married to his first wife. So that's always one of those things that people ask. He's like, was he married? Yeah, he was, he was married twice actually. Um, so, he, so he, he, the first kid that he kills, at least on record, um, and that's a whole different, uh, part of the, the conversation that we can get into a little bit about whether or not I think that's all he did. That was the first. It, it, yeah. So the first kid he ends up picking up at the Greyhound station does what he does. You know, like Gacy just hated the fact that he was gay, just hated it. Uh, but he was gay, you know, and he, he took great offense if anybody said he was gay. He's like, no, I'm bisexual. It's like, you know, I, I like the ladies, you know, I have plenty of sex with women, you know, but all the stories that he tells is always sex with men, you know? So, and, and like that, that, rage that he felt, I think always manifested in him, like after, you know, the sexual part of the evening was done that he would end up killing them and then just disposing of the bodies. And, and so kind of the, the, the real thumbnail of Gacy is over the course of 
from 1972 to 1978, he is known to have killed and was convicted of killing 33 young men ranging from like 24 down to 14 years old. Um, all of them were, uh, except for the, ex with the exception of the first one who was stabbed, um, all of them were strangled to death. All of them were tortured. Um, and, and essentially 27 of the bodies were then buried in his crawl space. Um, two were buried on the property, uh, one under that barbecue pit <laughs> that we've talked about with, uh, you know, where he's out there cooking that giant pot of shit for a huge party with like a fucking corpse under it. Yeah, uh, but you know he had to have gotten off on that. Oh, totally. Like in episode, I can't remember what episode, but I, I kind of give like that whole explanation of that little party where he's, you know, stirring whatever's in the pot. And I'm, I'm kind of imagining what this fucking guy's thinking to himself, you know? Um, and then, yeah, so there, there's one buried in the garage and then uh, he forced, he throws four in the Displains River because he had run out of room in the crawl space to bury them. So ultimately, yeah, there's, there's 33 bodies. So uh, that goes on, like I said, for about six years, the, the last victim, uh, real handsome kid named Rob Peace, 15 year old kid, like all American strapping, really good looking, super yeah, athletic. He was so cute. I mean, he it was. seems was like a, it was cause of him that they yes. really looked so 100% was it. from 100%. a great family, parents who exactly. loved him. Exactly. And, and Exactly. Like, and his mom was like all over that shit. It's like, you know, cause, cause the story goes, Casey was in there remodeling at, cause that was what Gacy did. He was a contractor and, and his kind of his main focus in terms of his contracting business was to remodel pharmacies. So he'd remodel, he had remodeling jobs going over like 20, 30 pharmacies at a time and he'd hire all these young guys. Yeah. It was like, he had two MOs, which I'll, I'll get into a little bit, but you know, one of his MOs was hire young strapping guys that he didn't have to pay shit to, you know, to do all the work. And then he would always be, you know, basically coming on to them like the minute, you know, that they started working for him, you know, he'd immediately say, Hey, are you sexually liberal? <laughs> you know, can I expound on the, the blow job idea? You know, it's like, and, and it's like no joke. Like he'd come at these, these young guys, like immediately, some of them be like, what the fuck, man? You know? And, and this is like the seventies, you know? So everyone was closeted back then, you know, it just was like a, a much different time than we deal with now. You know, it's like, we've kind of woken up as a society in terms of the reality and like, you know, people should be able to do whatever the fuck they want to do and live however they want to live, you know, and be Absolutely. who they are. It, it wasn't like that back then, you know? So. I mean, it's also probably, Andy actually made this point last night when we were discussing the case that also contributed to how long it took for him to get caught because. There's no question. Yeah. No. No question, like a hundred percent. Because crimes aren't a crime that they want to do. Investigate. Right, it wasn't a crime. Oh, it's just it's, it's prostitution. Just, it, yeah, it's a couple of gay guys having a gay yeah. fight. You know, like yeah, it's, yeah. that's just it's how not, they have it's sex. Not real. Right, they're yeah. deviants. They don't matter. You know, it was that type of shit, and it's unbelievable. And and like as I started interviewing the cops, you know, they all acknowledged that 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 was true. That that was really and the just the attitude in the seventies, no less. Exactly. 
Exactly. Not like not, I love where a, I'm from, but like it's definitely not you super know, progressive. Couple, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. no, it, it was it was not San Francisco in the Midwest. No. You know what I mean? It was like was not very open minded. I, I think Ernest Hemingway described Oak Park as the um, uh, city of of. Uh, broad yards and narrow minds was, was kind of how you said Hemingway, he described who, who Oak grew Park up. that way. Yeah. Yeah. Where oh I grew God. up, which, <laughs> which is ironic because Oak Park, when I lived there was like the most liberal town on the face of the planet, you know, like literally. Um, so yeah, he, he basically uh, would, when he, when he did the peace thing, he had completely fucked up what he had perfected over that eight, you know, the six year period. Like he, he went at a kid like exactly what you were saying, whose parents were adoring this child, you know, this, this kid was their pride and joy. And when he goes missing and doesn't show up on his mother's birthday, no less after she'd gone to the pharmacy to pick him up and like the kid fucking vanishes. She's like at the police station by 10 30 that night, like saying my kid's been, something's wrong. That's what Jesse was saying last night. She's like, how are you not checking the last place these kids were, mm-hmm. which was with him? Like it, it doesn't, it well, he, would, he t- could talk his way out of it. Yeah. Every time like we talked about that with Johnny Zick, right? Is that his name? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah John they, they, Zick that, and then that, yeah. two of them, like Bukovic and Zick, both the same yeah. shit. Yeah. And, and they're like, like we, he was over there. We just dropped him off here and now he's gone. Yeah. yeah it was unbelievable. So, it, so, and I skewer the Chicago police in my podcast, like, like yes. Bukovich was the first kid. I mean, I fucking skewer them because they were completely either incompetent or in cahoots. It's what like, I have not decided yet. A hundred percent. Like the, the fact that, you know, they thought that he was, you know, like, these kids were all gay and, you know, whoever was killing him was probably gay. They just didn't give a shit, you know, because they had enough on the Butkovich thing. If they would have done anything, <laughs> they had more on Butkovich than they ever had on peace. And they had more on Zick than they ever had on peace. And both their parents showed up to the Chicago police said, my kid's missing. You know, Butkovich's dad was like a fucking like old school, you know, uh, Polish fucking contractor who's like, my son's gone. You know, he's he wouldn't fucking run away. He just rented an apartment. He, you know, he has cars here where, you know, how is he running away without his car? His wallet was in his car. And of course, in his wallet is Gacy's card. You know, Butkovich's old man goes to Gacy's house and says, I want my kid's last paycheck. You're the last fucking guy to see him. You know what the fuck? You know, so they had all this shit. Or if they would have done anything in 75, they would have gotten them. Like it, it would have taken very little to be able to connect the dots that Gacy was the last guy to get a search warrant, to get in that fucking house. And, you know, basically happen what, what, what ends up happening with peace, you know, I mean, it, like, so, so peace. Also, Bob, one of your early episodes, you walk down this path of the way that I think Johnny Zick should have been in, um, investigated. And you tell this like story about the way it could have gone. And, and then that's the episode. I think that you then read the names of all the victims that would have been saved had he been caught at that point. Oh my God. I had chills. I was that fantasy of competence. <laughs> right. Was, this is a fantasy of competence was so incredible. 
Yeah. And I think that was, that was definitely like a turning point for me listening to your podcast, thinking about how well done it was and how great your narrative was to be able to imagine a a different uh, type of investigation. I want to say too, that when you started this podcast, when I started listening to it, like first episode, it was like, I have this incredible resource of, of these never before heard tapes. And I want to do it in a way that's respectful to the victims of the case who have, have been kind of looked over in this story. And then by the last uh, episode that I heard, which will not be the most recent episode out by the time this airs, um, you full on go into investigating the investigation and become, it becomes like a totally different podcast where you're like full on investigative reporter now. Yeah. And it was so <laughs> fucking weird how it happened, you know, cause uh, like it, it, it was one of those things lawyer, where, yeah, it's like, that's, I'm, I'm doing what I do. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I, I, have the, I have all the police reports. We start interviewing these cops who we love. Like every one of these guys is fucking salt of the earth, Chicago fucking cops. You know what I mean? Like you, you hear it when you, you hear them speaking, you know, these guys are all old school Chicago cops and they were all incredibly honest for whatever reason. So as I start going through the narrative and and you can tell like for the first four episodes and we're fluid, you know, it's a fluid situation. Like, like I say in that eighth episode, you know, this wasn't a thing where we produced this, you know, three years ago and it's been in post-production, like in with, you know, we're trying to plan some big reveal. It's like, we were learning shit as we went, you know what I mean? So as I'm in episode four, I have one of these cops drop an absolute fucking bombshell on me that I'm like, oh my God, like my dad was the lawyer and it seems like they missed a massive fucking like cover up that I just can't believe that it's mind blowing. And I'm like, I go to my dad, I'm like, dad, (laughs) Uh, you know, these cops just started telling me about this, you know, the crucial piece of evidence in the case uh, was planted. You know, I mean, like there's no two ways about it. Like this isn't me speculating. It's a fact. So, and and, and I, and I told all these cops, I'm like, look, man, I'm, I'm not trying to blindside you here, but you had to know when you told me, you know, we're on a podcast, I'm interviewing you when you're going to tell me the, you know, the first person that you've ever told this to. And for whatever reason, they decided to tell me. And I, I think it's probably because there was like a kinship that we just kind of felt because my old man was one of the lawyers and, you know, there was a lot more camaraderie back in the, you know, in the early days of law practice. It's like prosecutors and defense attorneys weren't so acrimonious with each other. And there was more of a, a, a feeling of, you know, we're kind of all in the criminal justice system together. We're all just trying to do our jobs at the end of the day. We can go out and have a beer together and, you know, because we're, we're trying to do our work, you know, and it's not like that so much anymore, um, you know, but as the I thing do think that that affinity is still very apparent in your podcast. You can tell that you have a rapport. Yeah. And it's, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm old school in that sense, you know, it's like, uh, I come from a short line of criminal defense attorneys, you know, my dad was one, I'm one, you know, and I, I certainly take after him in terms of how I try to carry myself with dignity. And, you know, if I'm in a hard fought trial with the state's attorney and win or lose, you know, I always shake their hand. And if they, they did their job and they put a good case on, I acknowledge that, you know, I mean, that's, we're in there to try to do a job. We're in there for the search for justice, which, 
is often very difficult to find. Um, you know, I, I think for the most part we get it right, you know, but there's obviously gaping holes in the system. But in terms of, if you look at any other system in any other part of the world, ours is as good, if not better than any of them, but there's never going to be a perfect system. You know, we're just, we're humans, we're not robots, you know? So, and, and when you've got juries, you know, it can, it can boil down to the, do they think my client's an asshole, <laughs> you know, whether the, yeah. you know, the facts <laughs> support, you know, uh, the defense or they, they support the prosecution. If they don't like my client, they're more typically than, you know, they're, they're going to convict them. You know I mean? That's just kind of how it is. And sometimes if, you know, if the facts aren't in my favor, I rely on my charisma, you know, in terms of, closing. And I, I try to get the jury to like me more than they like the state's attorney, which is typically pretty easy usually, you know, cause state's attorneys can be, <laughs> you know, kind of stiff. Uh, you know, they have a tendency to be that way. So yeah, it, it did. It, it like, it, it took a turn. Um, you know, I've been very careful with respect to, um, you know, how I've handled addressing this with respect to the cops that are disclosing things to me uh, in terms of assigning the blame where I think it should be laid. And I, I don't think that any of these cops that were out on the streets doing the work, conducting this investigation were privy to the decisions that were made by their superiors and or the state's attorneys or both, um, you know, uh, above you know, what these guys knew what was going on during their investigation. I mean, they were out there just pounding the pavement and following Gacy, you know, and, and they had very little communication with each other when it was going on. So when we get this huge disclosure, you know, as, as you've noted, you know, the dilemma for us is, is twofold. It's one, we're certainly not going to be apologizing for, for the result that ended up happening because I think we would all agree that Gacy was a fucking monster and he had to be stopped and all these victims, uh, you know, lost their lives. And the, the, the end result of that is immeasurable. You know, it's not just the victims, it's their families. It's like I said, in the, the, you know, one of the episodes, it's like, if we try to figure out the reach of the loss of each one of these young men and expand it out, I mean, it's, it's hundreds of thousands of people that were affected, you know, like truly when, you know, when you lose that many kids, it just has a massive effect. And, you know, so in terms of like how we were going to address it, but still maintain the focus of it was the right result, but they just got it the wrong way type of thing, you know, because we, we just don't, it became tricky, you know, and, and it's, it's tricky for us to try to traverse through that, that rocky path of maintaining the integrity of what we're trying to do, but still it's, it's, it's my obligation to, to basically expose what happened, you know, and the bottom line was that, you know, I mean, they cheated, you know, they cheated to get them. They did. It, it, the bottom line was that they, you know, at the 19th of December, eight days after peace goes missing, they had zero evidence against Gacy. They, they all had, their, they knew it in their gut. You know, it was one of those things. Like when we watched OJ, we're like that fucking guy killed him. You know, I mean, we know he did it but they didn't have the evidence, you know, and it was the same with Gacy, except they had less, they had nothing. They literally, they had a whole bunch of evidence 
that seemed like he was doing some horrible shit to other kids that weren't in Desplaines police jurisdiction. They weren't their cases. They couldn't, they couldn't go after the Johnny Zick case. That wasn't their case. It was a Chicago case, you know, same with the Bukovich kids. So, you know, they were stuck with trying to get something that would connect Gacy to peace and they just couldn't find it. And so ultimately, you know, they, they hatched this plan, you know, and well, it's going to be some <sighs> tricky territory morally. I mean, you're asking yeah. the question, do the ends yeah. justify the means? Right. Exactly. And legally. The answer is no. If you're talking to a lawyer, no. I mean, I think right. that's interesting because most it of the is. people listening to your podcast are going to be lay people and they might think right. just like, well, fuck it. You exactly. The system. Get this guy. Exactly. It's and, hard. And it, it's a super, it's a super difficult question to answer. And, you know, frankly, the episode that we're dropping this week, I'm kind of recapping, you know, because if you listen to my podcast, it's, it's all killer, no filler. You know, I'm fucking yeah. dropping, I'm dropping facts like from front to end, you know, it's like, I'm not fucking around. I'm throwing a lot of names in there, a lot of dates. And you guys know how podcasts are, you know, I mean, people listen to your shit, they'll download it and they'll listen to episode six, two weeks go by. They'll listen to seven, a week and a mm -hmm. half goes by. They'll listen to eight. And like, I, I kept telling people, I'm like, look, like, however you're listening to it, you have to listen to six, seven, and eight consecutively. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to put the pieces together. Because I would have done like a six-hour episode on eight to like fit yeah. it all together. Because it's, it's, it's complicated, but it's not, you know, because it's, you know, and I'm always going through, it's important for me as an attorney to try to break it down for lay people in terms of what I'm looking at and how I'm able to piece it together and how I know what I know. And it's not based on me reading an article. It's not based, you know, I'm not going on Wikipedia fucking guessing shit. I'm looking at the police reports. I'm looking at the same things that my dad had at his disposal. And it just became glaringly obvious. And then like I had already thought Darren and I both thought that, something was up like this, this piece of evidence that was supposed to be there just kind of appears out of nowhere, the most crucial piece of evidence. And then I, you know, I wasn't even asking the cops, you know, they just like started volunteering it about this, <laughs> where this thing was found. And, you know, and I go even a little bit further. So that's facts. This next episode is, is how I think it actually played out. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, it's tricky, but you know, that, that, question that you brought up is ultimately what it's going to boil down to, you know, like, like that's the debate, you know, and, and my answer, and I, and I address that in this next episode that the reality is, is if Gacy, uh, had not gone in on the 21st after they arrested him and spilled his guts, you know, so basically he's in custody for 10 hours on the weed charge. The weed charge would not have kept him in jail even overnight. So, while he's, you know, at the hospital getting his heart checked out and displays is like, fucking keep him there, do everything you can run every test known <laughs> to man. We need him like indisposed for 10 hours so we can draft up this, this complaint for search warrant and get the fuck back in his house. So when they get back in this house, that's when they run back to the crawl space and they find the first bones. As soon as they, they dig up the first bones within 15 minutes, they've got a murder uh, indictment 
like ready, prepared, and he's arrested and charged with murder and abduction of Rob Peast. So that night by 1130, when they tell him that we're arresting you for the murder of Rob Peace, he starts spilling his guts. You know, he basically starts confessing to shit and it wouldn't you, have been that you, way. Like expand on why he spilled his guts, why he started singing. Do you, do you have any, I, I will in that? episode 10. Yeah. So okay. episode 10, <laughs> okay, yeah. no spoilers. <laughs> episode 10, I start kind of digging into, uh, the psyche. Know, we're gonna start, yeah, we're going to start going into the statements and kind of like what happened there and how that came to be. Um, but the bottom line is, is like when he did that, the shift in terms of being a defense attorney becomes very clear that, okay, my client has just confessed the magnitude of the crimes. And it didn't still, even on that night, they had no idea how many bodies that they were dealing with. You know, they still, you know, it was, it took three weeks to unearth everybody, you know, before they knew that the count was 33. It was just like one after another, after another. And it was tedious, horrible work down there for these, these evidence texts that were digging up these graves. So, you know, they, they still, as that progressed, they didn't know, but, but legend has it that, that Gacy had gone to Sam, the other lawyer who was defending Gacy on the 20th, gone to his office, spent eight hours in there, confessed everything to Sam. So Sam knew allegedly um, that Gacy, cause you know, Gacy admitted to killing at least 30 people and they were buried under his house. So Sam immediately was like it's an insanity defense. That's the only thing I can do. I can't put this fucking guy on the stand now. Cause he just confessed to me. I can't suborn perjury. He just confessed to me. So once it shifted from insanity to defense, which I explain it a lot and I try not to be overbearing with it in my podcast, but it's important for people to understand, like, by operation of law, as soon as uh, an insanity defense is presented and filed with the court, that essentially means that that person has admitted to committing the crimes. So the burden for the state shifts from proving beyond a reasonable doubt that he committed the crimes to proving beyond a reasonable doubt that he's sane. And the job for the defense attorneys is to prove that he's insane, not that he didn't commit the crimes. So from the perspective of my father, like, like Kozenzak, the guy that, that planted the evidence must've been like, Oh my fucking God, I'm so relieved. I'm so relieved that, that he's confessing, you know, because it like, it took that out of peril because their focus was not on the investigation. Like, like I'm doing, you know, it's like, that's how my dad and Sam missed it just because they, they weren't looking at it. You know, they were, they were worried about hiring psychologists and psychiatrists to find, you know, the, the right fit to say, look, look, that this guy's clearly not sane. You know, I mean, no, no one that's normal and sane does this kind of shit. So it was a completely different focus. So how they missed it was totally evident, you know, like, whereas if he hadn't confessed, because it really was all circumstantial evidence, there, were, there was no direct evidence that Gacy killed these people. Yeah, they found him in so the house. So you, you think, do you think if your dad knew what you now know, he could have got Gacy off? Yeah. Well, that, that, so I, I address that in this next episode and basically the way it played out, if it would have played out, like if they had not gone through the insanity defense and my dad had dug in to what I dug into, there's no way that they wouldn't have found this. There's no way it's, it just was like, there, there's, you can't cheat it 
like that, because if they would have interviewed the evidence tech that I have on that, that Carl Humbert guy, who was the, the guy that was in there on the 13th, he's like, if I took a picture of it and I wrote it in my thing, then it was there. If I didn't, it wasn't. And it wasn't. You know what I mean? It's like they, they tried to, you know, they, they injected at some point before trial. But when I talked to Humbert, you know, the guy who was and he wasn't with the Splains. He was with with Cook County. You know, he was from a different police agency. So he had no affiliation with them. So he was just coming in as an evidence tech. And literally on that search on the 13th, when they claimed to have found that receipt, it's not there. You know, he's the guy who wrote the report. I'm looking at what you know, what he found and he's, he's itemizing it and he's giving it numbers and he's saying where everything's going after it. this carpet with bloods going to the state lab, the, the rope with the hairs going to the state lab, you know, so he goes through everything and, and this receipt's just not there. So yes, the answer is a definitive yes. And what would have happened had the planted evidence and the fabricated smell been exposed, which was the entire basis for the warrant to get them into the house is that all all of the bodies would have been suppressed. Casey would have fucking walked. So that, that's why it matters. Like, it's like, it it didn't happen that way, but man, it, it, like they handed the state's attorney, Bill Kunkel, a fucking time bomb. Like that, like if, if Sam and my dad would have dug into that at all, they would have caught well, it. Well, they would have you know? if, if Gacy had shut his mouth. If Gacy exactly. hadn't spilled his guts, yeah. they would be exactly. preparing a very different defense. Exactly. And it might have been, it might have gone down very differently. A nightmare. It would have been a nightmare. They're like, the, oh, yeah. the, like one of the most prolific serial killers in the history of America would have fucking walked. Like, and they would have never been able to, to get that evidence back. It would have been, it's done. It's like once it's suppressed, you can't say, oh, we, you know, they essentially would have had to wait till the guy killed again. And then only Ooh, charged him with that he was murder. was so narcissistic that he had to. Exactly. Like, uh, into everything. Bingo. And that's, and that and that's also, it, to your point, to your point yeah. also, that that's why this is dangerous. It's not because you want to get this guy off. It's because it could have got this guy off. It it it, it was so close to have gotten the, the like, it, it was like inches just like centimeters from this guy walking like it like all it would have taken is is for my father and sam to to discover like i mean i'm a i'm a relatively smart guy i'm you know i'm not a genius you know like i'm, <laughs> I I'm you're like medium I'm, to like yeah right you know it's like smart, I, you know <laughs> yeah I, I mean we fucking dug in you know what i mean it's like we looked at the sheets we're like shit's not adding up you know the one thing that wouldn't have happened is the cop the cops wouldn't have fucking fessed up like they they were very deliberate no, it's like ron I robinson guide but it wouldn't have mattered like they, they just wouldn't have been able to put the pieces together you know and who i really want to talk to is kim byers and she's just stonewalling us i you know, can tell i can tell yeah. the frustration through the podcast oh and we want to know yeah i mean she's I, I think that most people would think that she was heroic. I mean, she was a young girl. I, you know, I think the cops went to her and said, look, you know, the, your friend's been missing for nine days. You, you know, we all know that this guy did it. We just don't have any evidence that he did it. And I think that Mrs. Peace became aware that 
that Kim, cause she was talking, they were doing their own investigation. The piece were all over this shit. You know what I mean? It's like they were, Desplaines was doing what they were doing and the piece were doing what they were doing. And, and, and I, I mean, think I, I can't say I blame her as a mother. Well, no, oh no my way. God. I would totally I would be, be doing that. So gnarly. Yeah. Oh my God. All of us would like that. That's yeah. what I expect <laughs> every parent to be like, you know, like fucking all over this shit, like out pounding the pavement. Like, I, you know, so, but they knew, they knew that Gacy was the guy and they just didn't have the evidence to get him. You know, I mean, can you imagine how frustrating that would be? So what that boils into is, and, and Coz and Zach was going over to the piece every night, you know, for these, they'd cook, you know, yeah, this piece would cook for Yeah, it was a conflict of interest. Yeah, it was Totally. He was so, yeah. he was way too close to it. And, you know, and, and he got sucked into it. He had taken it personally. And, and he felt like, and he knew, he knew in his heart of hearts that Gacy had done it. And Mrs. Peace, the Peace collectively knew that he had done it. And they're like, uh, I think that a conversation had taken place at some point with Kim and Mrs. Peace where she's like, you got to, I need you to think of anything, anything that may have, you know, taken place on that night that you do, you know, maybe didn't disclose earlier. And, and she says, well, you know, I mean, the only thing that, you know, I developed some film. You know what I mean? And this is like old school shit. This is like where you bring a roll of film in, like back when you had to develop pictures, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a whole different world than what we live in now. You know, you used to take film, bring it to the fucking place. You know, you'd hand them the roll of film, they'd write up the envelope and they'd tear off the receipt and they'd give it to you. And then two weeks you go pick up your pictures. So, you know, that was the norm. It wasn't like it was some kind of like crazy scheme that they had to think up. They're like, all right, well, where's the receipt? And Kim's like, I can be, you know, I have it. So I, I think what they did is that they simply went to her and said, look, you know, do you want to get the fucking guy that killed your friend? I mean, we're going to handle everything, you know, give us the receipt. And we're basically, you know, we're going to say like, and they wouldn't even have told her where they were going to find it. They said, just give us the receipt and we'll handle it from there. But you're going to have to write a statement and you're going to have to really explain why you would have put it in Rob's pocket because the defense attorneys are going to ask you. So when you read her written report it starts like most perfect it, it's a little too perfect and it and it starts like most reports that i've ever read in my 20 years of practicing law that the, the or, or like written statements always start out with the beginning of the story like her her statement literally starts out talking about the role of film there was none of, oh, Rob was, you know, working and I, you know, none of that stories in her written statement. It's only about the film. And then she spends the better part of the statement trying to come up with a reason why she put her in his pocket. Like where anyone normal would be like, I was wearing the fucking guy's coat and I just stuck it in his pocket. I wasn't even thinking about it. You know what I mean? That, that would have been like the most normal response instead of like, I don't know if it was a sign from God or I don't know if I put it in there because I wanted Rob to find it, to remind me of it. I'm like, none of that shit makes any sense. It makes no sense. So it becomes obvious to me that, that basically they appealed to her, you know, as a young lady who, who's, what did, I mean, what is she going to say? No, like she's going to say, yeah, here, here, take it. And then, they ran with it from there. And then they, at that point, they, they inject it into the, the evidence, the story. And, and they start telling the guys that I've been dealing with, we're telling, you know, the narrative is that we found it in the garbage, you know, especially the guy, you know, and like, I don't think it was ever in the garbage. I don't think it was in the outside garbage, which is what they told the cops that were working the case. It was found in the outside garbage, but we're telling them that it was in the inside garbage. I don't think it was found in... Right. I don't think it was in any garbage. I think it was in Kim's pocket. 
you know, or their house. I mean, when you look at that thing, it's been folded. You can tell when a piece of paper, like any receipt that you or I would put in our, like shove in our pocket. And she's a teenage girl, you know, she shoved it in her back pocket, I'm sure, or her front pocket, wherever. And it sat there until she wore the jeans again. If she got home, she may have pulled it. So whatever. I mean, the thing's pristine. It definitely was never in soaking wet garbage. Cause Mike Albrecht, one of the guys is like, yeah, they took that bag of wet garbage from the street. They laid it out on a table and they had to let it dry for two days. Cause it was all soaked. Well, that thing has never been soaked. I mean, I've posted the picture a million different places for people to look at. It's never been wet. I mean, you can tell when a piece of paper has been wet and then dried and it's, it, that's not it. And you can see the folds where it was, where it was shoved in like, so, you know, I, I just, but that's where I think the that, story, even, you know, through you digging in and not accepting the story we've all been told, the story you've been told, the story your father was told and really digging in and looking at it, you have brought up something that's, so completely different and, and to the story and, and cast a lot of moral questions and, uh, questions about like, like I said about that episode about Zick, that, that fantasy of competency, but there's also now this, like this fantasy of horror of this other way things could have gone. And I don't know. I just think it's really incredible. And I'm very, very interested in where you are going to go after this. Well, you know, there's these two guys, these, uh, these guys, Cram and Rossi. So, you know, kind of where this leads me, like in terms of my mindset is like, what, you know, what else did they fuck with, you know, in terms of getting this, this case like closed and, you know, in these tapes that I have, it's just so evident that Cram and Rossi were complicit, you know, and they, and they just, they skated like they completely skated, you know, not only did they skate, they both testified on behalf of the state. And, you know, Mike Rossi is a guy that was, is still protected to this day. Like I started, like when we started the podcast, I had reached out to Tracy Ullman, not the British comedian, Tracy Ullman, the woman who produced, um, devil in disguise that's running on Peacock. And, you know, I said, Hey, I wanted to congratulate her. I said, you know, it was a great docuseries and she's always been really cool with me. I, I had dealt with her like when she was kind of first digging into it to start her documentary. And, you know, she then proceeds to tell me that NBC had completely stripped her narrative when she submitted her final cut to them, that they pulled out all the shit about Rossi and Cram and all of her, you know, she's big on Gacy was part of a Mitch, uh, like a much bigger child sex trafficking ring. And that he had all kinds of people helping him, which isn't crazy, <laughs> you know? So like, we're going to be digging into that harder than anyone has, because I don't have some corporate monster telling me I can't do it. So Tracy Ullman is like, I'm going to give you everything I have, you know? And so she's giving me, everything she has. And we're going to, so we're going to finish this first season kind of, I'm going to get through this and it's weird because I, I know what I know now. So how do I handle like, like when I was just doing it with the narrative, the running narrative, just going to go through it and it's going to go through the trial and have, you know, the psychiatrist talking about Gacy and all that interesting shit. Now it's like, like I've always got this thing in the back of my mind that they cheated to get him there, you know, and it's going to affect the way that I, I kind of go through the story in the trial. Cause that's always going to be in the back of my mind that, you know, what else did they do? 
You know, is it limited to this? Yeah, what else do they know? Spouse cheats on you. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's like, wait, if they lied about this, what else are they lying about? Wait, where are they right now? What's going on? Right. Yeah, where is that motherfucker? I I need to log into his phone on my uh, fucking computer. (laughs) Wait a minute. Now that I know one bad iMessage. iMessage is the best. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking see all that motherfucker shit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I got to get into his WhatsApp. That's what I need to look at. Uh, What's right. the locked one? Oh yeah, you right, it. exactly. It doesn't show up on the phone. Remember, when we used to have printed phone logs. That doesn't exist anymore. Oh yeah, oh but yeah, no. Like, like it's it's right. It's like triple encrypted, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 weird, man. Um, like how how we're gonna like handle that moving forward. But yeah, we're we've decided at this point we're gonna split it into two seasons. The first season I'm gonna get through. A majority of the tapes i'm going to finish the narrative you know we'll get through the trial you know I, i've got to have my dad back on you know which will be a you know probably an uncomfortable interview you know and i i adore my dad you know and it's like i'm not he keeps asking me he's like why are you retrying the case bob and i'm like <laughs> i didn't i didn't mean to dad i didn't mean to sorry you know you yeah sorry yeah. <laughs> i'm you i got i right. learned it from you <laughs> yeah i'm your progeny man it's like what do you yeah. what do you expect dude so you know so yeah it's it's been it's been interesting for sure uh, so on a personal note, speaking of that, your relationship with your dad, um, I have no idea how old you are. You look very young. Yeah. Um, I am, so I'm were you man. around for the Gazy trial? Like, how old were you? Were you even born? Like, where where are you in this time frame? Yeah. So I was born in 69, so I'm an old motherfucker. I'm 51. I I, well, I don't really look nice. like it, but I... Husband. Well, yeah, you're not yeah. that old. You're not that <laughs> right, old. All right. All right, good, good. Um, you know, so yeah, I was like, when the case broke, uh, you know, I was like nine, going on 10. And, and Fortunately for me, my parents had divorced when I was young. So, and my mother's new husband decided he was a Chicago cop and he decided that he wanted to join the air force like late in life. So he ends up moving me out to Colorado Springs because he's going to be going to the air force Academy. So while the trial is going on, I, in retrospect, had the great fortune not to live in the state. Yeah. Those kids are fucking cruel, you know, and I would have like, even when I moved back with my dad starting seventh grade, which would have been like three years after the trial, like kids were still giving me shit. I imagine that's, that's really what I wanted to know. I mean, and your relationship with your dad, obviously you have a great one, but I also was thinking about him looking at you as a young child or a young man and, and having to be in the room with that monster and just how complicated that is. And, and I guess you could expand on that as not only a human, but also as a defense attorney, because sometimes that's the hand you're dealt as far as clients, you know? Totally. Yeah. It was, um, and, and Gacy was like a really, like I said, like, uh, I mean, aside from just, you know, the, the complete sociopath, you know, narcissist, he was just super engaging. Like the guy would call like my, my grandmother, my, my dad's mom. And like, she talked to him like on more than five occasions, you know, he, he, I've actually got a Christmas card here, pull that thing out. I want to, sh- I want to show you guys this. So he sends my, he hand, you know, he was obviously incarcerated, but he hand draws this Christmas card that he sends to my dad and his then girlfriend that I'm going to show you right now. It's fucking crazy. It's so weird. So yeah, he sends this thing 
So oh, that, like, so I'm gonna he have hand, a fucking nightmare from that. So he hand draws that thing, and Is it's it, it's literally. Blood? Yeah, I mean, it might it might as well be. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, so he says uh, the stocking. You know, he basically he he you know basically pimps it all from. Uh, night before uh, Christmas. No, not the night before. Uh, what is it? What? What's the? F- is it the night before Christmas? Twas the night before Christmas. What is that? Yeah, what is that thing called? Uh, what? Christmas Carol? Oh, yeah, no, tw- I guess it was Twas the night before Christmas. I thought I had yeah, a different fucking... Yeah, Twas the night before Christmas. Yeah, we read it every year. Uh, so, yeah, we yeah, read so it every we, year. Come on, guys. <laughs> right. Get I'm it like, together. The nightmare before Christmas? <laughs> it is actually yeah. the nightmare before Christmas in this one. Ex- exactly. So he, he basically says the, ch- uh, the stockies were hung by the chimney... He spells, misspells chimney, chimney with care and hopes that St. Nicholas will soon be there. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Always John. So it's to Bob and Valerie. And then he's got his little weird Gacy oh. thing there. So like, you know, he just, logo. He send, yeah, it really was his logo. That's like on all of his paintings and shit. So the guy was just a fucking super weird fucking creep you know well you know he had had branding down at least you got to give him that huh oh the the guy the guy was an absolute like you know i mean he knew how to make money like he was making he made a very good living (laughs) you know that that was the thing about him is he had so much shit going like i don't know how the guy found the time to kill all these people like he really he worked like a motherfucker. And it's like, when I'm going through these tapes, it's like the guy's getting home at five in the morning and then waking up at like seven, you know, and on, on nights that he killed somebody, he's still, you know, wonder he'll he's kill crazy. them. He, oh my God. Like the guy never slept, you know, <laughs> like seriously. You're talking it's, to a couple of mothers of four months old right now. And right, I, I exactly. mean, we're not going to go out and kill anyone, but I can understand feeling a little uh, crazy. You know? <laughs> as far as you know, as far as it's early, it's really, it, I mean, if, I'm few if they woke up our kids, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you guys, have you guys gotten them? Uh, they got their, their days and nights right yet? I mean, they're yes. four months. I yeah, Maya, okay. Luckily, mine did her first week. She was alleged. Yeah, see, that's... Oh, yeah, she's an asshole. She has a perfect baby. <laughs> yeah, see, that's amazing. My wife was a baby whisperer, so I never had, like, any of those nightmare. Like, I slept like a fucking champion through all my kids' baby. You know, yeah, it's like, I, I never had that nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, I it was like she... Yeah, she just fucking crushed it, so I was super lucky in that sense. Like, she's... She's good with babies, so uh, I was yeah definitely fortunate. <laughs> I it it didn't uh, didn't like it was all joy. It was all joy, you know, and That's shitty awesome. diapers, shitty shitty diapers and joy, you know. Yeah. I, I think that I'm about sums it up. No fun. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a I'm a hands-on dad. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Wow. But as far as um, I think it would have been a much different tale had I been living in Illinois, you know, during the trial. But um, and your dad's assistant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. well, yeah, if you could retroactively right. go back. Yeah. Well, my dad told me, you know, that like his intent, he wanted to bring me to the, you know, like the first day of the trial, you know, and my mom was like, uh fuck no, (laughs) you know, that's that's not happening. Um, you know, she was not a big fan of my dad at that point. So, um, you know, that, that was like, that was a, that was a non-starter that was never going to happen. But, uh, yeah, it, 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 you know, but like kind of, it's always been a part of my life. You know what I mean? It's been a very strange, but always like omnipresent part of my life where it's just, you know, cause like, 
I would always tell people I'd be out at like parties and, you know, it's like always my friends. And I, and I mean this honestly, I, like I was never walking around like, oh, my dad was Gacy's lawyer. Aren't I fucking cool? You know, I was like, yeah. I never said that. <laughs> but, you know, my, my buddies would be like, oh, yeah, you know, at some point during our drunkenness, you know, it would come up that, you know, my old man was Gacy's lawyer and people like, get the fuck out of, you know, it's like you always get that response. But the thing that was really like amazing to me is that no matter where I was, whenever that happened, there was always, always somebody with like a Gacy connection. Always. You know, I had an uncle that was an investigator. My oh, aunt so he's was like, a secretary. He's like the Kevin Bacon of serial killers. Exactly. Oh, Six God, degrees of John Wayne Gacy. There's, there's no question. I actually, I, I've actually that. decided that <laughs> Steve Buscemi would have been a better choice than Kevin Bacon. Cause Steve Buscemi, you could fucking six degrees that motherfucker <laughs> to like every actor <laughs> in every movie, pretty much, you know, from probably... 85 on I'd say, but yeah, so that's just, that's just a little personal thing. Um, <laughs> well, then from now on, we just do, you know, six, six degrees, degrees of Steve Buscemi. Buscemi. Yeah. I mean, like, for real, mm-hmm. yeah. do do his IMDb. You'll see I'm right. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. The guy's been in like, he's acted with really? everybody. I investigated it already. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's a his next season two of defense diaries. <laughs> right. Six <laughs> degrees of John Wayne Gacy. So yeah. yeah it's, you know, and, and kind of like going into this thing that was going to be like one of the focuses is that I definitely wanted to have an entire episode because I, I started hearing from tons of people and people that I knew, you know, personally before I started doing the podcast that like had close encounters with Gacy, like that were in Gacy's car that somehow escaped, you know, it's like the guy who actually mixes and masters our music, which my brother-in-law does our original you know, soundtrack for us, you know, his fucking dad, like literally in 78, like got picked up by Gacy at a bus stop and like escaped at a red light and was like running for his life. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and like the guy wouldn't, you know, he's completely, he's dead now, but you know, he had told the story to his wife and to Ryan. So it's like, you know, I, I just, I keep hearing about these stories. Like Gacy was just a, like an apex fucking great white, like predator, you know, the guy just was his, his desire was like insatiable, you know, like in, in, I think that there's some truth. I think that a lot of times what happened with him is that he would fucking drink and smoke weed and take Valium until he was like blacking out, you know? And I think that there's a lot of portions of shit that when he was killing these kids that he really doesn't remember, you know, it's, it's like in these tapes, he's always like, well, I don't remember killing him, but I remember waking up and they were dead on the floor. And, you know, my dad would ask how he's like, well, they had the rope around their neck. Yeah. I mean, for real, or just, you know, you know straight- especially if he didn't want to be gay, like that's mm-hmm. definitely him trying 100%. to suppress the fact that he's gay. Hundred percent killing these poor innocent kids. What yeah, thing I do want to get into? Speaking of that six degrees and this story uh, as well, uh, one of our initial conversations I had with you, uh, we talked about how this case resonates and how it has affected so many more people than even just the victims and their families. The people who survived, you know, the people who were associated with him, you know, people like your, yourself and other people who were involved in the case, um, even as a child. 
But even more so, you you talked about how this was something that changed the innocence of America. And I'm interested in that. It, you know, it really did. If you look at, and, and you guys are younger than me, but, you know, back in, you know, when I was growing up, um, you know, if I said I was going out to play, like when I was in fourth or fifth grade, it was like, okay, just be home before dark. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> and I fucking went out and played, you know, like for real, for real, you know, and it was like that. That's just how America was. You know, it was like you could literally just go out. You didn't have to like everyone didn't have to be hyper vigilant about where their kids are every second of every day. And, you know, the day that Gacy got arrested, that changed. It really did. You know, it was like you know, missing kid reports, like that whole, we're going to wait 48 hours went away, you know, the whole, you know, Oh, it's just a bunch of hippie kids and they're flaking off and you know, they're just, they fucking run away. You know, they're, they're not dead. They're not missing. They just, they ran away. You know, they're, they're yeah. And that's, we, we came up that when we covered the sex slave murders yeah. in the seventies, like they were like 14, 15 year old girls. And they're like, yeah, well they're teenagers. That's what they do. They ran off to California. They ran off to wherever, like, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. And no. yeah, no, not so much. No, they're, yeah. you know, they're, <laughs> they're victims. They're, they, they've been killed, you know, so they're children so, too. Yeah, right. Exactly. They're kids, you know, so that changed immediately because there was a guy down in Texas, um, Dean Coral, who was killed by one of his uh, accomplices. <laughs> so like it, and that was one of the things there's this great uh, podcast and there's like a like if it might be. Yes, a three I haven't listened three. yet, but the clown and the candy man. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So mm -hmm. like that, that particular podcast focuses very closely on the similarities, the eerie similarities between Dean Coral and John Wayne Gacy. Like they both seem to have two accomplices. They both used the rope trick. They both used handcuffs. They both killed young men. They both buried them under their house. It was fucking like spot on. You know what I mean? And, and that was like Tracy Ullman's thing. Like she was, she's absolutely convinced that this was like a big cabal of like, you know, that there were these guys that were doing this and it was a whole fucking crew of guys doing it. And you know, that, that there was basically a, a child sex trafficking ring where they'd bring these fucking innocent kids up from like, or down from Minnesota or, or, you know, Michigan, you know, like these bright eyed kids just coming into the big city, having no fucking idea what they were doing or where they were at. And, you know, like that was the first kid Casey killed was that kid like that, you know, those uh, big bright eyed kid gets out of the Greyhound bus station, you know, looking around the city, like in Casey sees him, he's like, bingo, you know, Hey, you know, you, you need a ride, <laughs> you know, and it, it, it's like, it, but, but beyond that, you know, it, it seemed like there was a procurement of these kids that seemed to be happening. And like, there's this connection between this Phil Paschke guy and, and David Cram, who was one of the guys that was one of Gacy's right-hand men. And these guys were both young. Cram and Rossi were both like under 18, you know, when they started working for Gacy and somehow they survived. And not only did they survive, they both lived with Gacy in his house during his most prevalent, like killing years. So to think for one second that that shit was going on in his house and these, no these guys was didn't that fucking the case know about with it. Dean Coral's accomplices too. Weren't they pretty young guys yes. as well? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It was like, it was exactly the same shit. And, you know, ultimately one of Coral's 
accomplices shot and killed him, you know, because like Coral had turned on him finally, you know. So, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of similarities. And, you know, this whole Mike Rossi thing is kind of scary because the guy's been protected for so long. Like, Are those guys still alive? Are they still out there? No. So David Cram hung himself in the forest preserves like 10 years ago. Super fucking Mm -hmm. weird. Mm -hmm. Super, super shady. Like what a weird place to kill yourself. I'm going to go out to the forest preserve and hang myself. I don't think so. So, but like Michael Rossi, it turns out, you know, because this case was going on back when the Chicago political machine was like old man daily. and, And that Democratic machine was the most powerful political machine in the country it was like day like daily ran chicago it's like the whole 68 democratic convention where he gave the shoot to kill order you know that he ruled with a fucking iron fist and he had sway over presidents and he was a very powerful guy turns out michael rossi's grandfather was daily's right hand man so rossi like forever, like in any book you read, if you read Terry Sullivan, who was one of the state's attorneys, if you read his book, Killer Clown, he uses a pseudonym for Michael Rossi. Kozenzak, the guy who planted the evidence, the lieutenant for displays, wrote his book, uses a pseudonym for Michael Rossi. When I had a news piece aired right when I was dropping my, and this is 40 years later, you know, NBC News did a little four minute piece about my podcast and the tapes he said that legal would not allow him to mention Michael Rossi. So I'm like, what the fuck? So Tracy Ullman then sends me like, you know, we were emailing back and forth and she's like, look, I'm going to give you whatever you need because it's so important to me that this narrative continues. And if you're willing to do it, I want you to do it. She's like, I didn't want to get killed doing it. You know I mean? She wrote that to me. I'm like, are you like fucking serious? I'm like, I'm not trying to kill my family here, but you know, like, and, and Darren's like, you know, I'm, I'm relying on him. Cause he's, he's a fucking gangsta. You know, I'm like, Oh, I got, I got, I got Darren, man. Like I, he's, he's got my fucking back, man. And then he's like, I don't know, dude. It's like, I don't know if I want to fuck with this shit. I'm like, yeah. So yeah, I mean, we've got some big decisions to make, you know, like how far we want to dig in, you know, because I, I, I spoke with one of the cops that's alive, the Tracy Ullman, and he w- he's one of the sergeants and like, he's never been interviewed on anything. And I, I, you know, Tracy told me, she said, look, this guy was the most wide open, honest guy that I spoke to about anything. And she's like, call him. So I called him. I spent like three hours on the phone. He's like, no, I'm not going to interview. He's like, if you're, if you're going to go all the way, he's like, I'll have some shit to tell you. You know, he's like, but I need to know that you're going to go all the way. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, there were, there were very powerful people that were involved in this and you've got to get to the the lowest guy, the weakest guy on the rung to get the whole thing to fall apart on them. And I'm like, what? And, you know, and he's telling me that, you know, there's addresses where he's confident that there's, you know, that we will unearth like 12 more victims. Like he gave me the exact address. So season two, I mean, I think we're going to dig in. I think we're going to keep going, you know, and then that's where I'm going to swing it back towards the victims. Like when I get back into the trial, you know, part of every episode, I'm going to be talking about each victim 
or a couple of victims per episode, right? You know, give their names, give a little of their bio because I, I want them to be acknowledged, you know? So it's like, I'm going to swing it back that way. I know it kind of got off track, but I mean, I just have to follow, follow where the story's taken me at, at this point. You know what I mean? But always being respectful and, and like, if you listen to eight, you know, it's like, like, I'm not apologizing. Like Gacy's exactly where he needs to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? There, there's no doubt about that. But the fact of the matter is, is like how it went down leaves a fucking really bad taste in my mouth. You know, it's like, especially where if they would have just stayed the course, they would have been able to get him one way or another. I mean, he was caving. You know, but the thing is, they didn't know he was caving and he didn't know how close or how far they were. You know what I mean? From getting him like in his mind, they were fucking all over him, you know? So in his mind, he's going nuts. He's like, Jesus, they're fucking following me all the time. They're all over me, you know? And, and from their perspective, they're like, we don't have anything on this guy, <laughs> you know? So it's like they both misconstrued how close they were or how far they were from making their cases or them not making their case, you know? So it was like, it was just, you know, and then the way they went about it just was illegal. It was unconstitutional. And it's like, yeah, you're right. I mean, from a criminal defense attorney standpoint, it's abhorrent, you know, I mean, frankly, planting evidence is, you know, aside from an unjustified shooting is the worst fucking thing you can do. I mean, that's how you put people in prison that don't deserve to be there by simply planting evidence. It's, it's the worst thing a cop can do. They have so much power that, you know, to say that, look, this guy was, because they didn't know he was a monster when they did it. You know, they liked him for peace and they maybe kind of liked him for, for Zick and, and Butkovich, but they didn't know. They certainly didn't know that he had killed 33 people. You know, they, so they ended up like at the end of the day, when you're looking at it, they basically planted the evidence just so they could get him on peace. And then they just struck gold. You know what I mean? That was like just a completely happenstance, you know, complete luck that it turned out that the guy was an absolute monster, you know, which of course clouded everything, you know, at that point, once he became, once it became like extremely clear, exactly who it was, like no one gave a fuck. It's like, that would have never, like they, they could have, they all breathed easy. We're like, dude, that's amazing. We just stopped like a monster, <laughs> you know, like they were all probably like just breaking their arms, patting themselves on the back that, you know, yeah, we fucking cheated, but look what we got. You know what I mean? And it's like, like you said earlier, probably 80% of the people would be like, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, they, they cheated, but look who they got, you know? So it's yeah. like, it's an interesting conversation to be sure. Do you think it's all certainly, of the police force knew, or do you think there's some people who didn't know that they... I, I think that 100% all the guys that were out in the field did not know. Did not, did not I think know. I, yeah. I, yeah. Did yeah. not yeah. know. So they were just doing no, their they, job, you know? Exactly. They were just out there. And I, and I say that like, just complete, you know, complete transparency. I'm like, I, I literally say that in episode that eight. I'm like, yeah, no, well, it, I think they had to play it that way. It's like, yeah. you can't have that kind of like the more people that know, the, the more likely it's going to get out. Like you, if you're going to pull some shit like that, you want to keep it in as small of a circle yeah, as you can. Shut. Yeah. <laughs> keep it right. And, and like, if you've got 12 guys fucking knowing, 
one of those idiots is going to say something, yeah. you know, inevitably. Because, it's yeah, like, the it, ego yeah. just can't stop yeah. after a few drinks. Right. Or, yeah. or, or they're, or they're fucking telling. Right. The, uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Or they're <laughs> telling their wives and, and then, you know, they tell their wives when they're in bed. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I just got it. And then she tells her girlfriend when they're drinking yeah. fucking wine. And then she yeah. tells her husband and then her husband tells his buddy, you know, I mean, it's like loose, loose lips sink ship. So what I think happened, you know, that's why I'm saying, they didn't find it in either of the garbages, but that, that it was important for Kozenzak to tell the guys that were working underneath them that that's where they found it because they needed to have a plausible connection of where they would have found that. They, they couldn't, they couldn't tell them that Kim just gave it to us and we're planting the evidence in there. So that was a perfect, that outside garbage bag was a perfect patsy for all these cops to say, okay, so, you know, yeah, we didn't find it in the house, but we found it outside the house, but we found it as opposed to Kim just gave us that shit, you know, like they were never going to tell them that. So they had to give these guys some narrative and their narrative was we found it in the outside garbage. So it's a little, it's a little wonky. Don't talk about it. But the reality is, is that they simply, you know, I, I'm a hundred percent convinced. And I, I think if Kim Byers would talk to me that I could convince her to like, just tell us the true story. Cause I, like everything I've looked at, none of it makes any sense because it, like any cop that would have found that thing, whether it was in the house on the 13th or in the outside garbage on the 16th, three days later, like Robinson said, the first thing they would have done is gone to the pharmacy to see who developed the film. Like that's, you don't have to be like a genius to know that. Like that would be like, these guys were uncovering everything. So they would have fucking gone right to the pharmacy and said, okay, well, did Gacy develop film? No. Uh, did peace? No. Oh, Kim Byers. Did. You know, like they, that just would have happened and it never happened. I have all the police reports. It never happened. You know, the first time they talked to her again is on the 19th, you know? So it's, it's just one of those things that when you really kind of look at how it all played out, like with a real, you know, eye toward detail, it's just, it's crazy to me. It's a crazy story. It changes the entire narrative of every Gacy story that's ever been produced or written by anyone you know it's the story's different now like we literally changed the gacy story you know and, it, and absolutely good or bad and it, did you, you know, did just, you intend to when you first no out? i had no <laughs> idea like my my intent was to you know my my biggest hope was that you know in the tapes gacy names a lot of names and there's this sheriff um his name's Jason Moran, who is still trying to identify the last six victims. There's still six victims that haven't been identified ever. And my hope was that, you know, maybe one of these names that Gacy names in these tapes is a name that they had never come across before. And maybe we get lucky and we can identify one of these victims. Cause Moran's thing is like, look, you know, as horrible as it would be to hear that your, your kid was one of Gacy's victims, it's still better than not knowing, like, you know what I mean? So, and frankly, there, there's one other potential like kind of jewel that we have, like in our tapes, there's, there's a, a, Gacy talks about another kid that he killed. That's not, that's never been attributed to Gacy. And in my tapes, he talks about what the kid was wearing and it's a very specific piece of clothing. So when the, the, uh, Peacock show devil in disguise aired, Mike Albrecht was telling me that, Hey, you know, 
uh, you know that that scene where because there's uh, there's four other tapes that exist that apparently Gacy's sister had of Sam Amaranti and Gacy talking that she turned over to Tracy, who then turned them over to me. And in those tapes, which she used a little clip in the show, there's a scene from the or you know a clip of sound from the tapes where Gacy is saying. Yeah, there was a there was a kid because Sam asked him, well, was there anybody else? He's like, there was a kid I dragged out of my car into the woods by the high school and I just left them there. And and that's kind of where that clip ends. My dad ends up following up because they always interviewed him separately. My dad would interview him alone and then Sam would interview him alone, never together, except for on the first tape. So when my dad asks him about it, Gacy says, yeah, you know, there was some fucking kid I had. I dragged him out of the car. My dad's like, well, was he alive or he's dead? He's like, I don't know. He's like, but I had to drag him. He's like, it was five in the morning. I was tired. I wanted to go home. My dad's like, okay so he's like well what did he look like he's i don't know and then he says well what is he what was he wearing and then gacy names this particular piece of clothing that if i can find this file that's in archives and in cook county sheriff's department it's gonna definitely if it's the same kid this article clothing's unmistakable it'll be a like a positive id so what i've i've been so mike says that the night that that aired that his old commander called him and said did you see that scene talking about the body he's like well we had a, a killing back in 77 that's still cold and and it was at these forest preserves so like now i know that there's a cold case at the same woods that gacy's talking about where he left this body that i'm trying to get them to pull out you know, the archive files are so like, I, we're going to go over and like kind of force the game. You know, we're going to go over with our fucking GoPro on and like our microphones and be like, yo, we need to get down there. You know, we think that we have another Gacy victim and like, it's, it's incumbent upon you to let us go in there or help you dig for it. Let's find the file. Let's see, let's check it out. You know? So, which would be, you know, kind of earth shattering too, but you know, so it, it's, it's one of those things where I hope to, to get some good out of it for sure. You know, and it's like, we, you know, we, we don't know kind of how to handle with the victims, you know, we want to be super respectful. I mean, I'd love to be able to talk to some of the victims' families, but you know, they might be like, fuck off. You know, we don't, we don't want to talk about it. It's been a nightmare for us, you know? So we, we have to be respectful of them as much as do I'd you, like to be Do you think anyone to. would be more resistant because you're related to one of his attorneys? I, I th that's a definite concern. You know what I mean? It's like, cause that was always the question that I had to answer when I was little was, you know, growing up was like, God, how could your dad defend that guy? <laughs> you know, that's the number one question always. And I'm like, well, number one, the constitution, you know, number two, it's his job. Number three, you know, every, every human being that's born in this country has the right to an attorney and to a trial. So, you know, I mean, the reality is, is that as a 35 year old attorney, when a case like that, you know, appears on your doorstep, you fucking grab it. You know, I mean, you're trying to make a career. And at that point, that was like the biggest case of the century. It was, I mean, they called it the trial of the century. It was huge. You don't turn that case down, you know, and it's they weren't trying to prove that he was yeah, totally, you know, and, and yeah. they weren't trying to prove that the guy was innocent, that he didn't do it. No. They were trying to prove he was nuts. You know, it was a different yeah. thing, you know, so. It seemed like the goal was to save him from being executed, kind of. That was the, the goal, right? Yeah, it was a that was a hundred percent the goal, which you know at the end of the day, I mean we could have a real, uh, you know, kind of esoteric conversation about, you know, could we maybe have learned something from him? You know, 
Like if, if we would have studied him or if he'd have been in a mental hospital, could we have gleaned some information, maybe help us like uh, elaborate Prevent a little bit more? Yeah, right. I mean, like they, you know, they, they get what they can as, as far as a profiling shit, you know, I mean, that's a thing, you know, so it's like, I think that you need to be able to study these guys to kind of like look for, you know, but Gacy was, man, you know, he was just like, he never would have guessed it. You know, you just never, he had everyone fooled, everyone, you know, except for those that he, he didn't, you know, which I think that there were probably a few of them. You know, I, I, I think the guy ran with a crew, you know, I think he had, you know, there's an article I ran into about a, a kid that escaped Gacy and the kid was very clear that Gacy was sitting in the back seat when they got picked up and, the, and there was a, a, like a young kid with acne driving, which sounds exactly like David Cram. So, you know, I, I just, I, I think that's how he was rolling, man. I think he, you know, and Gacy always was like, they never talk about this part of the narrative, but he always was playing like he was a cop. His car looked like a cop car. It was a black olds, like 78 olds. It looked like an old cop car, had a fucking spotlight on it. Would always had a box of badges. He'd always clip a badge to his belt. That was part of his move, you know? So if he was picking up these kids off the street, that's what I was saying. He had two MOs. It was either pick up the kids who were out, you know, kind of struggling to live and doing what they had to do to live or, you know, picking off his employees, you know? I mean, it, those were his two avenues and, you know, he was, he was as bad as they come. Bad, bad dude. Definitely. Wow. This is totally fascinating. And I'm so excited that we got a little sneak peek of what's to come in season one and even more in season two, yeah. which sounds absolutely insane. It's going to be crazy. Uh, I, I don't think I you tell. even know what you're going to get yet. I like, I totally <laughs> have no so clue. Fun about it. Right. I mean, for me, it's super, <laughs> super exciting and kind of terrifying, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's like when, when people are writing me emails, like I didn't want to die. It's like, oh my God, really? Like, what am I, yeah, you're what like, am I doing, am I doing this? I think I'm, yeah, I think I'm like, like this. And then, I, and then I'm kind of like, you know what? Fuck it. You know, I'm yeah. like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do Most it. You know, it's like so old anyway, let them, right. Exactly. I'm like, exactly. Like, what are they going to do? You know, it's like, most of these bastards have to be dead. You know, yeah. it's like, so like, who's yeah, you got to hunt out some deathbed confessions here. That's what For you're doing. Real. For real. Free yourselves like, before you pass on yeah. to the great yonder. Exactly. My friends. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there was definitely no, this was not a love murder type case with old John Wayne no, Gacy. No, I think, guys, I think there, love was, there was there was no love lost from John Wayne Gacy and his victims. That's that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, this has so. been so much fun. Um, yes, we have very different podcasts, but we're definitely. yeah, we're both true crime. Uh, I, I'd like to think that we both do a lot of research, although we're not doing what you're doing. <laughs> I can, um, I can and say we have uh, a great amount yeah. of respect for you. And, and that, that goes both ways. I, I, I really do love what you guys do. Um, to me, it's always like shocking. You know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I really do, you know, and like kind of when I met you, when I was first getting into it and, you know, I'd listened to your pod and I was like, I like their voices, you know, which is important. You know, there's, there's some podcasters, I cannot fucking stand their voices. <laughs> yes. You know, um, you guys have the right amount of banter. I think, 
you know, Andy's fucking smart, which is huge. <laughs> you know, it's like, 100%. There, there, yeah, there, there's some co-hosts that are not as bright, you know, like yeah. their questions just don't work for me. I'm like, why the fuck is this chick on the show? And he's not that, and he's not that girl. So, you know, when I, and you guys are just super thorough in terms of, and you tell a great story, you know, Jesse, you do like you're, I, I'm, I'm a fan of your show. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited that you guys had me on too, because, uh, I think that both, both our audiences will, will enjoy what we do in different ways. You know I mean? We got, we, like you said, we, we got different things going on. So, um, I think that we have a little bit for everybody, you know, like whatever Absolutely. For guys, these are the day. only two podcasts you need. Just yeah. listen to us. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's true. That's a hundred percent true. Like we no got bullshit. Everything. Cause you guys like cover like the, you know, basically all the, the other shit that I'm not touching. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, like you, guys, exactly. you guys are carrying the heavy burden of covering everything else. And I'm kind of focusing <laughs> on one thing, but uh, yeah, no. So it, it's been amazing. I'm super happy that we did this and I'm very grateful that you guys decided to have me on. So I thank you for that. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Bob. And guys, please, please, please go check out Defense defense diaries and of course we'd love your audience to check us out as well yeah and, and for all my listeners that exact same like immediately go download love murder follow them you won't regret it you're gonna love it it's it's a great listen and then you're getting like an hour 40 per episode it's like watching a movie <laughs> with your ears which we like were actually episode. self-conscious about the first yeah, few we times were. we did it yeah, we were like, no, this you is know what? long, but I could not not do it. It's like, I got to tell right. the whole story. You got to tell yeah. the whole story. And it really is. Look at it like, as opposed to you guys are doing like uh, an hour long drama episode, you're doing a movie. You know, I mean, your, your, your shit rolls in movie length, you know? So it's like, I think it's great. I love it. So you guys keep doing that. Don't change a thing. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. And we cannot wait for the rest of these episodes. So thank okay. you. I'm like, awesome. really so, about the next one now. I know it comes out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. No, we're going to drop it tonight. We're dropping it tonight. tonight? So it'll already yeah. be out when yeah. we release this, but yeah. yeah. Right. It's yeah. It, it, like it, 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 it's a recap a little bit. You know, I felt like I, I was getting a lot of communication that I, I threw a lot at some people last week. So and I, I was able to get Terry Sullivan, not on my show, but on, I was on the same news show as him, you know, and I've been really wanting to talk to Terry. So, you know, and of course they wouldn't let me question him. So I had to respond to him in my podcast. So we play, we play that news clip where Terry's on there, you know, kind of poo-pooing the shit that we've exposed, which he had to do, you know, so. Yeah, of course. So yeah, check it out. Check it out. 